I want to uh, introduce our topic of communicating the gospel. It's a four-week series. I want to introduce it with just a little bit of a, a caveat about how we approach this kind of topic. And uh, I think it's, it's important for us, it's germane for us to think about this topic with a particular kind of filter about how God works through us and in the world. It's an important way for us to think about this. And uh, I'm going to introduce this uh, with a, a funny video here. Some of you may remember this uh, delightful little video. It's a commercial from the most recent Super Bowl. Um, it's a Volkswagen commercial where this little boy is dressed as Darth Vader from Star Wars. Uh, and he's going around the house trying to use the force uh, from Star Wars. You know, the force. He's, he's trying to manipulate things through the house. Uh, dressed up as Darth Vader, and uh, he's trying really hard. He's trying hard to, to make these things happen, to manipulate them, but he's just not being able to, to make it happen. He's not, not having any success, and it's not working for him. So let's go ahead and watch this. That's such a great little commercial. Uh, I, lo I love that one. <clears throat> uh, this ad, obviously, playfully, uh, illustrates um, a fundamental principle of doing God's kingdom work uh, that applies to our Christian lives, and I think it applies to how we do ministry and how we think about who we are as a church and, and how we put together ministry and do programs. Um, I think we're a lot like that child in the video, and I think this is important for us to think about as we, as we approach this topic of communicating the gospel. Because communication of the gospel is very much the kind of thing that we can get behind and be active with and do things. But I think there's something we need to make sure of before we do that. We're just like that child in the commercial who tried and tried but couldn't do anything without his father's intervention. The truth of that is that we do not manufacture spiritual work, friends. When life change happens, it's only because God the Father is in it. And the hard part for us in church and in ministry is that we are in the life change business. And yet at the same time, it only works if God's spirit is in it, if God is behind it. We can try as hard as humanly possible, run ourselves ragged for the gospel, but if God's Spirit isn't behind the work of our ministry, it amounts to a lot of busyness that may not produce much spiritual fruit. 
In other words, if you're using the inside of your bulletin and you're taking notes here, our work must be God's work. It's not in the outline there, but it's something that if you're taking notes, you might want to write down. It's something to think about as we approach this issue, this important issue of how we communicate the gospel as a congregation and as Christians. Our work must be God's work. This has been a difficult but important lesson for me personally. Uh, I'm sure many of you experience this kind of thing. I can't tell you how many times I have failed at this one. Working in my own strength. Mostly at good things. You see, friends, being the church and communicating the gospel, it isn't a turnkey operation where if we just got our heads together and if we just tried hard enough, if we just organized well enough, it would work. Boom. And God would bless our efforts. It doesn't necessarily work that way. Sweat equity for us as humans doesn't automatically guarantee quality spiritual results in the lives of people. So only God's work, done God's way, produces meaningful spiritual change and work in the lives of people. Because it's not something that we can manufacture in our humanity, in our stick to That's not how it works. That's what's so crazy about being the church. In other words, and this is the crux of the issue as it applies to communicating the gospel... It's important as we embark on this four-week series, it's important to remember that if spiritual work and change is not happening in our lives, how can we possibly expect with integrity to invite others to a saving knowledge of Christ? In other words, friends, as we are communicating the gospel, as we are using our resources to serve others and to invite them to a relationship with Christ, we must always look into our own lives first. And we must ask these questions about our relationship with Christ first, which is why we start today with defining the gospel. I'm increasingly convinced that many folks say one thing, they say correct words, they wear right clothes, they look on the outside as if the gospel is the center of their lives, and yet they give the lie to that with their lives, with the way they operate, which seems to me like a fundamental misunderstanding about what the gospel is. And so it's important for us to ask these questions for ourselves first when we come to a topic like communicating the gospel. So let's take a moment before we jump in to pray and to set ourselves uh, right with God before we jump into this important series. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, we pray for your presence and your blessing to be evident among us during this series, during our time together studying this important issue, that you would teach us through the convicting work of your spirit, that your agenda for First Christian Church and for your church would be preeminent in our minds, and that our agenda as people would always, always submit to yours. Lord, we ask for you to work in our minds and hearts, that we would increasingly become a culture here, a church that cares for lost people, that our hearts would absolutely break with the things that break your heart, 
So, Father, we look first into ourselves and our own lives and ask that you would do gospel work in us this morning. In the name of your Son, Jesus, amen. So today, as I mentioned, we're beginning the four-week series, Communicating the Gospel. And today, in uh, the first week of defining the gospel, we want to show briefly but, but clearly uh, from Scripture what we mean when we talk about the gospel. And we'll do this in three basic parts. It's in your outline there. First, we're just going to give a little history lesson about where this concept comes from in Scripture and in the history of the people of God. Second, we'll talk about uh, what the gospel is in some really basic, simple kinds of terms. I need to say up front, we are not going to cover everything about the gospel today. It's just not possible. Uh, We could do that for about eight weeks and uh, begin to touch it. Uh, Third, we'll talk a smidge at the end there about what the gospel is not. Because I think it's important for us to get clear what it isn't so that we don't continue to live in ways that demonstrate that kind of misunderstanding. So let's start with some history of the gospel. Uh, If you would, please turn to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 40. It's about halfway through your Bibles. Isaiah, chapter 40. Uh, The main purpose and theme of this book of Isaiah is uh, is this, and it's listed in your bulletin in the outline there. It's this. Isaiah announces God's surprising plan of grace for his rebellious people. That's the gist of, of what Isaiah's message as a whole is about. It's announcing God's surprising plan of grace for his rebellious people. It's surprising because the requirements of God's law requires perfect adherence. The requirements of God's law, they require perfect adherence. And even though God's people had by this time turned it into a self achievable system of works righteousness, God graciously accepted his own righteousness in the place of our sinful rebellion. God graciously accepted his own righteousness in place of the people of God's sinful rebellion. In other words, God knew all along we would be unable to meet the requirements of his law. And he knew all along that he would meet his own requirements by Christ's perfection graciously counted as our perfection. If you're taking notes, circle that word surprising there and draw an arrow to this, uh, to this statement. It's surprising because the Messiah's perfection would be graciously counted as our perfection. We've got to get that straight if we're going to talk about the gospel. It's a fundamental thing about what the gospel is. The Messiah's perfection would graciously be counted as our perfection. You see, the vast majority of the people of God in Isaiah's time didn't see that. And that's why we have this message. Look at Isaiah 40, uh, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. Skip forward to verse 9 there in that same chapter. Uh, this, uh, this surprising plan of God's grace is such a great message, like verse 9 says, that it deserved to be proclaimed. This is where we first find these words from which we get our modern word, the gospel. It says this, verse 9, Get you up. 
to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. If you're a note taker like me, if you're a circler, circle that phrase, herald of good news. It happens twice there in verse 9. This is the place in the Old Testament where we get that initial concept of the gospel as good news, as the proclamation, as the heralding of good news. It's the first place we see this word used in a way that is similar to our modern concept of the gospel. Now, now follow closely for a minute. This is, this is going to get cool here in just a second. No, it's already cool, but it's, it's, it's cool how Jesus picks up on this. Isaiah 61, look at Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. This same phrase about uh, the good news is used here to announce that God's plan of grace and his comfort from sin would come from a Messiah, from someone who was the anointed one. It says this, verses uh, 1 and 2. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. It picks up on this idea of of the good news and talks about the Messiah being the one who brings that good news. So finally, turn with me into the New Testament, Luke 4. Luke 4, verses 16 through 21. Uh, check this part out. It's, it's, it's super cool because Jesus was uh, just coming out of the wilderness and his time of testing and preparation in the Spirit. Uh, so this was the beginning. This is important to note. This is the beginning of his public ministry. It says this, Luke 4, 16 to 21. And he, that is Jesus, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. This is sort of like preaching in our worship service today. They would read the passage and someone would make comment on it. So this is, in a sense, this is Jesus' first public sermon. Verse 17, and the scroll of the prophet, hmm, Isaiah was given to him. Wow, that's crazy. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim, there are these words, good news to the poor. I wonder why he chose this passage. He goes on to say this. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Verse 20. And he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus, knowing fully Israel's history, 
knowing full well that he was aware of what he was claiming and that the people listening to them, to him were aware of what he was claiming, he opens up to Isaiah. He reads about being the anointed one to proclaim the good news. And then he sits down while everybody's staring at him. And he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Talk about dropping a bomb. I am sure you could have heard a pin drop in the room when Jesus says, this is being fulfilled. He says, it's time. Good news has arrived. The gospel is now. And by the way, I am the Messiah. So this word comes with a history that shouldn't be ignored because it comes straight from Jesus. And Paul picks up where Jesus left off. He picks up on this basic idea of the gospel as a proclamation of the good news of the coming of Messiah to save from sin. He does this in a section of 2 Corinthians that we're going to focus on, especially during our four weeks here. This is where uh, Paul helps us define, in simple terms, the basic content of the gospel message. We're going to distill it today into one small, power-packed phrase and one special word, especially in that phrase, for our purposes today. We're not going to cover everything about the gospel, but for our purpose in this series of communicating the gospel, the, the series focuses on this kind of concept when it comes to communicating the gospel. This is straight out of 2 Corinthians 5. We'll go there in just a second. And this is the next blank in your outline. The gospel is the proclamation. It's all of the ways that we can proclaim, all the ways that we can communicate by word and deed, not just by what we say, but by what we do, the totality of our existence. It's the proclamation of the good news of the reconciliation of the world to God through Jesus Christ. The key word here is reconciliation. It's a word that Paul uses here in 2 Corinthians 5 to sort of encapsulate, to sort of summarize everything that is meant in the good news of the arrival of Jesus to save from sin. It's the message of reconciliation. And we find this in the passage that we read earlier. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verses 18 uh, to 21. This is going to be our main passage for this whole time. And uh, we don't have time to do this today. Um, but those of you who have been with us for a while, we have a memory verse that we keep uh, before us in lots of our larger series. And this is going to be our memory verse for these four weeks. So the first week is uh, verse 18 here. Uh, next week will be 19, 20, and then 21. So if you want to memorize one verse a week, uh, we'll repeat those next week and the week after so that you'll have those four verses by the end of the week that uh, sort of encapsulate what we mean when we talk about communicating the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 21 says this, All of this, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And get this, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, their sins against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. 
We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Verse 21. This is perhaps the most power-packed statement of the content of the gospel in all of the New Testament. Verse 21 by itself. It says this. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Reconciliation is just a word that means restoring friendly relations. It's about coming back to good terms in our relationship with God. Here the word is meant by Paul to include all of the basic concepts of the gospel. All the basic concepts of the gospel. That is, that God sent His Son into the world, the God-man, that is fully God and fully man, and this God-man lived the perfect, sinless life no one else could. He fulfilled the whole law. He intentionally died in the place of sinners, substituting himself in order to absorb on himself all of the just wrath that God has against sin. And it is this perfect, sinless Messiah who took away all our guilt, who forgave all our sins, and who rose from the grave triumphant over death and sin and Satan and hell. And it's all right there in verse 21. For our sake, God the Father made him who knew no sin, that is a sinless Christ, his own Son, to become sin for us, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Paul talks about in Christ and in Him all over his writings because of this verse. There is no better news and no better message than the reconciliation between God and sinful humanity. So just think about this for a moment. We are entrusted with the most important message ever. Think about this. Paul knows full well what he is saying when he calls us, in verse 20, ambassadors for Christ. He is saying that Jesus Christ, that God-man who accomplished full satisfaction of God's wrath against sin on our behalf, has handed off to us this mission of proclaiming his message. 19. Verse 19, he has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. He has entrusted it to us, to rebels who shook our fists against God in our sin and in our pride. He has entrusted to us the responsibility of carrying a message that is the most important job, the highest calling, the most important ministry that anyone ever on the planet could have. Comma. But. Here is the sad part. This is where we'll begin talking about what the gospel is not. The sad truth about our handling of that incredible message is this. 
We have, on the one hand, been entrusted with the most important message ever communicated in the history of the planet. The highest calling, the biggest task, the most important job anyone has ever had. And yet, on the whole, we in the American church are terribly apathetic to the plight of people who may lose their souls forever in hell. We have become a people content to pretend to care about lost souls because we say the right things with our mouths, but we reveal with our lives the truth that we are not just content, but we are happy to go on living as if hell is not real. And people don't go there without Jesus. We sing songs Sunday after Sunday about loving to tell the story. But we know full well we don't love to tell the story. Most of us don't tell the story at all. And you know why? It's because many of us have bought into the lie of religious duty and self-righteous works. And that is not the gospel. Many sitting in pews across America have hardly truly experienced the gospel in their own lives. We have played at grace and pretended to repent, but our hearts are still filled with the love of idols that replace God. He's hardly first or second or third, even in the lives of people who claim him as Lord. But instead, he is far beyond, far behind the idols of our greed and our lust and our pride and our safety and our security that hold our hearts truly captive. Friends, when we follow Christ, he's either everything or he's nothing. Jesus did not leave a lot of room for in-between on that one, friends. He is Lord and Savior and Master. Or you are enslaved to the evil one. Without, without the truth that the gospel is the pearl of great price that demands that we give our whole lives... Without that truth, I am convinced that the saddest place on earth and the largest mission field on the planet is our backyards. It is the biblical south, where the modern version of Pharisaism, that false religion of churchianity, holds people's hands and smiles as it unwittingly leads them to hell. Because we have set up for ourselves external controls to soothe our religious conscience and to placate our fears while we kindly act as if there is no judgment and no hell and no accountability for sinners who do not repent. That is perhaps the greatest example of selfish pride I can possibly conceive. 
a community of faith that has the most important treasure and message that's ever been ever been spoken. A community of faith that has that and yet cares only for its own hide. That, my friends, is not the gospel. See, the truth of the gospel message that we proclaim is so amazing and so wonderful and so infinitely precious and a treasure for which we should sell everything if we had to, that this message of reconciliation of God to humanity cannot possibly be kept to ourselves. It's that good. And if it is kept hidden, we show, we demonstrate that we do not know and love the gospel. And yet we are, and we show that we are cowardly and prideful protectors of our own comfortable worlds. Thank you very much. And so, and so I want to know, because I think God wants to know, where are the warriors among us who will seek to go find the lost? Who will seek high and low for lost souls like a shepherd keeping their flock? Where are they in our pews? Who among us is willing to go for that one lost sheep, turning over rocks and mattresses, going to the highways and the byways to gather and to find and to minister to those who are spiritually sick? Because the truth is we have no right to our righteous standing before God if it's not for the work of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And we certainly have no right to keep it to ourselves. There could be nothing more selfish on the planet. I want to close with a little story about a world-famous violinist. His name was Fritz, Fritz Kreisler. Fritz Kreisler was a world-famous violinist who earned a fortune with his concerts and his compositions. He was, he was a master on the violin, but he generously gave most of it away. So when he discovered this exquisite violin that he fell in love with on one of his trips, he didn't have the money to pay for it. So later on, he raised enough money to meet the asking price, and, and he returned to the seller of that violin he wanted, and he hoped to purchase that beautiful instrument, and to his dismay, he found out it had been sold to a collector. So Chrysler made his way to the new owner's home, and he offered to buy that violin. He offered everything. He said, I will, I will give everything to have it. The collector said, it had become his prized position, possession, and he, he wasn't going to sell it. So, of course, the violinist was disappointed and was about to leave when he had, he had this idea. He thought, maybe I could just play it once. And so he asked, could I play the instrument once more before that instrument is consigned to silence? Permission granted, the great virtuoso takes the violin in hand and fills the room with, with such heart-moving music that deeply stirred the emotions of that collector and owner of the violin. 
So much so that he said, I have, I have no right to keep that to myself. He said, take it to the world and let people hear it. Friends, that's the truth of the gospel for us. We have, we have no right to keep it to ourself. It wasn't given to us on those kinds of terms. We are to take it to the world and let people hear the incredible truth that God has come to save us from a sin that we never could. It doesn't get any better than that, friends. And communicating the gospel is the way in which we, as a people, create a culture where the goal of who we are and what we have and what we say and how we shake hands and the way we greet one another, that the way we serve, the way we give of our resources, the way we talk with people in the community, that all of these elements are about who we are as the people of God, taking the gospel and communicating it in all of its forms to people who otherwise may not know the inestimable joy of knowing Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we repent. for seeing our lives as ours. And we ask, Father, that you would redeem us, that you would reconcile us, that you would continue to demonstrate that you are working all things for the good of those who love you and for the sake of your glory. And, Lord, we ask that the gospel would be the center of our lives and our thoughts, that we would love the truth that you have come to save us so much that we can't but help to give it away. We ask, Lord, that you would make of us a congregation that intentionally and thoughtfully finds ways to creatively communicate the gospel to people in our own backyards who need to know you. And we ask that you would give us opportunities to serve, to use our resources, so that we would be people who are outward, so that the people of God here would be demonstrated by our behavior as people who do what you did when you gave of yourself. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. The band's going to sing, uh, help lead us in a song called Let Your Kingdom Come that we have uh, done a couple times before in the last couple weeks here in the last week. Um, it proclaims a, tra- a truth that we say every week in the Lord's Prayer. We, we ask for His kingdom to come. But we want those words to not be empty thoughts, to be rote. We want them to be uh, gospel-centric Words that are filled with the truth that our hearts want so badly for God's kingdom to be made known in the lives of people. So as we stand to sing, if you're a baptized believer in Christ and you're looking for a church home, we'd love to have you uh, to come forward. Or if you would like in the uh, waters of baptism to publicly declare your faith faith in Christ as we sing, we ask that you would do that as we stand.